Thanks for listening to the Rock Hill Podcast. At Rock Hill, we're all about reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. Listen in as Pastor Matt Chappell teaches how God's Word applies to our everyday lives. All right, if you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and grab it. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 this morning, and uh, we are concluding a six-week study in the book of Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're talking about what it means to live a meaningful life, a meaningful life. And we're going to conclude that series this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, looking at the words of Solomon. And I want to say one more time, happy Mother's Day. Let's give it up again for all the moms that are in the house today. I read uh, this week that Welch's Grape Juice uh, Company researched uh, 2,000 American moms with children uh, the ages from uh, 5 to 12, and they asked them some questions, and they discovered that uh, the role is equivalent to more than two and a half full-time jobs. And uh, they said that the workday starts for the average mom at 6.23 a.m., doesn't stop till 8.31 p.m., which is an average downtime of 67 minutes. And uh, they say that these 14-hour workdays add up to 98 hours throughout the nonstop seven days a week regimen, and so we should never ask a mother, so do you work? And uh, I'm so thankful for all the moms and all that they do and their love uh, for uh, their children and for their families. And uh, I'm so thankful that you are here today. And Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 is where we're going to be. And for the last several weeks, we've been exploring the words of Solomon as he has uh, pursued everything under the sun to try to discover and ascertain what is the meaning and the purpose of life. And we've talked about several different things throughout this series, but really Solomon brings it home today. And the title of my message this morning is The Bottom Line. The Bottom Line. And uh, we're going to be in uh, chapter 12, and uh, we're going to study verses 9 through 14 today. So if you have a Bible, would you say amen? The Bible says this in verse number 9, And moreover, because the preacher was wise... He still taught the people knowledge, yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Everybody say truth. Verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Everybody say one shepherd. And further, by these, my son, be admonished. And making many books, there is no end, and much study is a weariness of the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Let's have a word of prayer this morning. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for all the moms that are here today. Thank you for all uh, of the families and uh, uh, families represented today, Lord. And uh, God, I just pray that for the next few minutes we will be able to have a, a holy focus on your word. Lord, I pray that you would give me uh, the wisdom and the uh, clarity of thought this morning as we look uh, to your word. Lord, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And uh, God, I pray that we can leave here encouraged and challenged uh, together this morning. And we love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, 
How many of you would consider yourself to be a bottom line type of person? Can I see your hand? Just, just give me the bottom line, right? If someone is telling you a story or if they are relaying the message, you're like, okay, just, just get to the point. What's, what's the bottom line? How many of you, that's you? Give, give me the bottom line. And uh, I think some people are naturally just more uh, long-winded uh, type of people. And uh, I was reading about William Henry Harrison. Uh, he holds the record for the longest uh, speech for a president on Inauguration Day. And uh, he gave a speech that was longer than two hours uh, that day uh, when he became president. And uh, it was a cold day. It was a rainy day. And he refused to wear a hat and a jacket and gloves. And uh, he probably should have made his speech just a little bit shorter because 31 days later he died of pneumonia. And so William Henry Harrison uh, holds the record for the longest inaugural speech and also the shortest presidency. Okay, so, so some people, they just kind of uh, uh, like to uh, communi communicate things in a lengthy manner. I was reading this week also about uh, a man, uh, a preacher who wanted to uh, break the Guinness Book of World Records for the longest sermon in the United States. And so uh, he got together uh, with some people, and they kind of put on this event, and uh, he preached a sermon that was over 53 hours and 18 minutes, okay? And so I just want to tell you this morning that I do not feel the Lord is leading me to break that record anytime soon, uh, so don't worry about that. I like what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, uh, the mind cannot take what the seat cannot endure, right? So uh, some people are just more naturally long-winded, but the truth is this morning is sometimes in life we just need the bottom line. I believe that Jesus was a bottom line person. He said this in Matthew chapter 22, verses uh, 36 through 40. He said, Master, which, uh, they were asking him, Master, which is the great commandment in all the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On, on these two commandments hang all, everybody say all, the law and the prophets. And so Jesus said, yeah, there's a lot of information. There's a lot of commands in the scripture, but let me narrow it down for you. Let me make it simple for you. Love God, love people, bottom line. Paul was a bottom line type of person as well. In Galatians chapter six, verse number 14, he says this, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And so Paul said, hey, it's not about creating a list. It's about concentrating on love. That, that is the bottom line. And we come to Ecclesiastes chapter number 12 this morning, and Solomon has been pursuing everything under the sun. And he has been talking about uh, the meaninglessness of life. He's been talking about the vanity of life, the Hebrew word hevel. It means uh, a vapor. It's empty. It's meaningless. And he has been exploring everything under the sun. And he comes to Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and he concludes the book by saying, okay, let me narrow it down for you. Let me give you the bottom line. Let, let, me, let me give you the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's what you really need to know. And, and he gives this profound insight to the meaning of life at the end of this chapter. And I've had a burden throughout this series because I believe that this is so common in our culture and in our country where people are desperate and they are longing for purpose. And they long for meaning in life. In fact, I read this week that Christina Aguilera came out with a new single just on Thursday, and the title of the song is Twice, and this is the first line of the song. Sometimes I wonder what is the meaning of this life. It is a question that has permeated the hearts of humanity since the beginning. In 2002, uh, Rick Warren wrote a book uh, called The Purpose Driven Life, and that book became very widely popular. And in fact, it, sold, it has sold more books than, than any other book 
Uh, it sold more books in American history other than the Bible. It's been the best-selling book in American history other than the Bible. So it's been wildly successful. Why? People are longing for purpose. People want to know what is the meaning of our existence. And so after exhausting the landscape of the human experience and trying everything under the sun, Solomon says, let me narrow it down for you in chapter 12. And he starts in verse number 1. Would you notice it? Verse number 1. He says this, remember. Everybody say remember. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Remember now thy creator. What is he saying? He's saying don't forget about God. You will never experience a meaningful life apart from your creator. And so he says, hey, when it comes down to it, the bottom line is, first of all, you need to remember your creator. Don't forget about God. Without God, life is meaningless. Don't forget about your creator. Atheist Sam Harris, he said this, we are driverless cars running a program which we did not write, which we cannot control, and whose existence we are not even wired to sense. And one journalist kind of offering his words on that quote, he said this, to many of the most ardent advocates of the theory of evolution, human beings are accidental creatures living a pointless existence whose every action is determined by neurochemistry, reflex, and reaction. And the point is that if there is no God, then we are just living a meaning, meaningless existence. We're just kind of going through the motions in a driverless car. We don't really have a say in the matter. A couple of months ago, Jim Carrey uh, was having an interview at, at some sort of fashion week, and it was kind of this awkward interview that made the news. Anybody see this interview with, with Jim Carrey? And he said this uh, in the interview. He said, there's no meaning to any of this. So I wanted to find the most meaningless thing that I could come to and join, and here I am. He said, I mean, you got to admit, it's pretty meaningless. And it was kind of an awkward interview, and then the lady was like, ha, ha, you know. And uh, th then he goes on to say, uh, we don't matter. There's the good news. We don't matter. And I want to tell you today that if there is no God, then that is true. But if there is a God, then you matter far more than you think you do. And so Solomon says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, because you will never experience a meaningful existence apart from your creator. Yeah, you, you can find some short-term uh, purpose, and you can be good to people, and you can uh, do some nice things, but you will never find eternal purpose apart from your creator. And so Solomon is saying, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Psalm uh, 139, verse number 14 says this, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and my soul knoweth right well. And so remember your creator. Can I just encourage you today to do not forget about your God. He is still on the throne. He is still in control. He is the great I am. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And so Solomon is, is pleading with his audience. The Bible says this in Colossians 1.16, for by him were all things created. Everybody say created created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And so, so, so this idea that, that God in this, in this, in this belief that, that Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, that God has created all things, that, that by him all things consist. And see, we, we live in a society, in a culture that appreciates good design, right? Uh, we like it when clothes are well designed. We like it when, when um, architecture is well designed or a floor plan for a house. Is, is well thought out. We, we, we come into a structure like that that has good design, and we say, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, th this is a good design. We never walk into a building like that and say, wow, I wonder how this happened. Because we appreciate good design. 
And so when we, look at the, when we look at the vast expanse of the universe and we see the creation, the creation points to a creator. The design points to a designer. So I just want to encourage you today that we can glorify God because we know that he is the creator of all things. Revelation 4.11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy ple- pleasure they are and were created. And so he, he starts with this passionate plea. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. And then he goes on in verses 2 through 8, and he kind of talks about the limitations of old age. And he's talking about how you should uh, exercise your passion uh, while you are young, while, while you still have the energy of youth. And, and then he goes on in verse number, uh, verses 9 through 14, and he really gives the bottom line. He says, here's what it all boils down to. Here is the bottom line. And I believe in these verses, Solomon gives us the three greatest truths in the book of Ecclesiastes. The the, the three biggest components to a meaningful life. Do you want to hear them this morning? The, The three biggest components. Number one, if you're taking notes, the greatness of grace. Solomon reveals the greatness of grace. Notice verse number nine. And moreover, because the preacher, now, now the preacher there, the Hebrew word is koheleth, and it basically means a public speaker, okay? So it's more than just a preacher in the sense of someone preaching the word. It's more of a, a public speaker to a congregation. And then the preacher, this was a, a pen name for Solomon, the preacher was wise, and he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. And so the preacher, Solomon, he is teaching the next generation. He is setting out in order many proverbs. He is teaching wisdom to the next generation. Notice verse number 10, the preacher, Koheleth, sought to find out acceptable words. And so he really put his time into this. He, he was really studying. He was diligent to find the appropriate words. And that which was written was upright, even words of truth. And so what we see here in verses 9 and 10 is that Solomon, the preacher, he is communicating truth and he is sharing truth and wisdom to the next generation. He is passionate about this. He is taking his time to make sure he is diligent in sharing the truth with the next generation. Well, wait a minute. We have to pause for a second. Because was Solomon even qualified to be teaching truth to the next generation? Now, I know that Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus. We understand that. But Solomon also made virtually every single mistake a human can make. Solomon was involved in all kinds of sin. Solomon uh, had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That made his mother's day a little bit of a fiasco, right? Like, it is crazy. Solomon gave his life to alcohol. Solomon gave his life to earthly and vain pursuits. He tried it all. You can read about it in Ecclesiastes chapter 2. He said, I tried everything under the sun. He lived for the world. He did whatever his heart desired. He lived for sin. But there was a time in Solomon's life, at the end of his life, when, like the prodigal son, he came to himself and, and he repented and he got right with the Lord. And now God is using Solomon to impart wisdom on the next generation. Now God is using Solomon to teach us wisdom 3,000 years later. And I want to tell you today, that is the greatness of grace. That God says, I can even use Solomon despite his past and despite everything that he did wrong. He had all this potential, all this God-given wisdom, and he wasted so much of his life away because of it. But God said, I still want to use you in a great way. This is the greatness of grace that Solomon was beginning to understand. See, see, when God sets you free, you will always have a burden for those that are still in chains. 
And Solomon was set free, but now he says, man, i got to impart truth in verse 9 and 10. I've got to teach the next generation that, that you don't have to give your life to alcohol, and you don't have to give your life to sex, and you don't have to give your life to earthly pleasures. No, there, there's something greater than that. You can enjoy uh, the creation, and you can enjoy your creator and the good gifts that he's given you. And so now Solomon, who has been set free, is now imparting truth to the next generation, and he is passionate about this. The Bible says this in Psalm 51, verse number 13, then will I teach uh, teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. And so Solomon is teaching us that, 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 that God can use us in spite of us. That, that God wants to use us in spite of us. And I don't know this morning... I don't know what your past looks like. I don't know what kind of baggage you took, uh, brought in with you to church today. I don't know what kind of mistakes you've made in your past, but I know this. God's grace is greater, and God's grace is bigger, and he still has a plan and a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you in great and mighty ways. In fact, God can take your greatest mistakes and make them your greatest ministry. Solomon's mistakes. Now he's able to teach wisdom and impart truth to the next generation. This happened to Paul in Acts chapter 8, verse number 3. As for Saul, who would become Paul, he made havoc. Everybody say havoc. Havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed uh, them to prison. The word havoc there is interesting in the Greek. It means it carries the idea, a picture of a wild boar raging through a garden. And Saul was just wreaking havoc on the church. He was murdering people. He hated Christianity. It was his life, life's mission to stop Christianity. But then there was a day on the road to Damascus where, where, where Saul saw a light and God miraculously saved him. And now his past was transformed to potential and God used him in a great and mighty way. And God used him to write two-thirds of the New Testament, became the greatest missionary we've ever seen, we've ever known of. And God used him in spite of his past. And so I want to encourage you today that God does want to use you. God does have a plan for your life and you can mark it down because God loves you and desires to do a great thing in your life. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient. Aren't you thankful today that his grace is sufficient for the, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Everybody say weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. John Newton said this, we serve a gracious master who knows how to overrule even our mistakes to his glory and our own advantage. John Newton is a perfect example of someone that, that lived for the world, that, that kind of went off and, and uh, did every sort of wicked sin imaginable, kind of rejected his faith for a while. But then he came back to God, and God used him to write probably the most famous song in history, Amazing Grace. He, all, he understood all about the greatness of Grace. I love what the Bible says in Ephesians 2 8. For by grace, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. See, this is the message of the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. This is ultimately the message of Ecclesiastes. It's all about grace, the greatness of grace that Solomon came to understand. And so he, he, he imparts this truth to us, and we see in his example the greatness of grace. But I want you to notice the second element this morning, and that is this the purpose of pain. The purpose of pain. If you're still with me, would you say amen? amen? Notice verse number 11. He says this, The words of the wise are as goads, and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. 
from one shepherd. Now, this is a beautiful verse for so many reasons. One, it is a reference to invite to divine inspiration. He, he's saying these are the words from the, the one shepherd. See, when we read these, Solomon's saying this is not just my idea. This is not just ancient philosophy. This is not just a wise philosopher. He's saying ultimately these words were received and inspired by the one shepherd. What is he saying? These are the words of God. And so when we open up the scripture today, we're not just opening up an ancient uh, history book. We are opening up the very inspired, perfect, infallible words of God. And so Solomon says, these are the words from the one shepherd. And this is in alignment with what the Bible says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 21. For the prophecy came, came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Is anybody thankful today that we have a more sure word of prophecy, that we have the words from the very one shepherd? This is not just man's idea. This is God's word. This is God's truth. And so with that in mind, Solomon gives us two illustrations about the wisdom of God and the word of God. The first illustration that he gives is that of goads, a goad. Now, a goad in ancient culture uh, would have been where a shepherd would have had a long stick that was sharp on the end. And if the cattle or the sheep uh, were kind of going astray and they were going to an uh, area of danger, the goad would, would, would poke and it would uh, prick uh, uh, the sheep so that they would get back on the right track. And so it was very painful, but very helpful. And see, that is often how the wisdom of God is. It hurts before it heals. A lot of times the word of God can bring about the conviction that's painful, but ultimately it's helpful. And so these goats, they really had two purposes. One, to steer us from the wrong things, to, to steer the cattle from the wrong things. If they were walking to a cliff, they would poke them, steer them from the wrong things, but also to spur them on to the right things. Uh, to say, hey, let's get back to where everyone else is. Let's get back to where you're safe. Let's get back to where there is protection. And so the word of God in our lives can steer us from the wrong things. If we're going down the wrong path, inevitably we, we start to live for self. We start to fall into sin. The word of God can bring conviction and steer us from the wrong things, but also spur us on to the right things so that we are living for contentment, for joy, for truth, for, for, for God's eternal uh, pleasure. And so that's, that's this purpose of a goat. It's, it's painful, but it's helpful. The Bible says this in Acts 2 verse 37. Now when they heard this, this is a New Testament example, and they heard this, they were pricked in their heart, that they were cut to the heart, they, they were convicted. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? See, the Bible has a way of cutting to the heart. The Bible has a way of, of bringing about the real issue. See, people are not uncomfortable with the Bible because it contradicts itself. People are uncomfortable with the Bible because it contradicts them. But I want to tell you today that we need the Bible to contradict us. Because when the Bible contradicts us, that is the catalyst for change. So you will never change if you do not allow the word of God to convict you and to contradict you so that you can lead a life that is being changed into his image. And so we need that conviction. We need that pain. When we read the word of God and it cuts to the heart, we need that. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, For the word of God is quick, it's powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, the Bible has a way of cutting deep and bringing about conviction. For years, the opening of uh, ABC's Wide World of Sports, they had this introduction video, and, and they talked about the thrill of victory, and then they talked about the agony of defeat. The announcer, he kind of he says that. And when he says the, the agony of defeat, there's this clip of a skier that's going down this hill, and uh, he, wipes out, uh, he wipes out extremely hard. It looks very painful. I brought a video so you could see it this morning. Spanning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sport. The thrill of victory. 
and the agony of defeat. So there it is. Looks painful, right? And what a lot of people don't know about that situation is that he actually did that on purpose. And he did an interview later on, and he kind of was talking about the reason he did that. And he said, I was going down, and then the snow was a bit harder than I expected. It was icy, and I was going way too fast. And I knew if I went off the jump, I was going to go way uh, farther than I should have gone. I was going to miss the safe landing area, and the, the end would have been fatal. And so he said, I was going way too fast. And so on purpose, I just kind of bailed out at the last minute. And he said, it was very painful, but it saved me for some, from something that was fatal. I thought about that, and I thought, how true is that according to the word of God? Sometimes it's, it's painful, but it's going to save us from something that is fatal, something that is more dangerous down the road. And so it might be a little bit uncomfortable. It might be a little bit inconvenient, but trust the process, trust the word of God that it will bring about ultimate healing. And so Solomon is saying it's, it's painful, but it's helpful. The second illustration that he gives in verse number 11 is this, that of nails. And I'm going to ask Matt to come up here if he can. He's going to help me for a second. And so he's saying not only do, you can put that right here, thank you. He's saying not only uh, does the word of God act as a goad, it has a long stick that, that, that points us in the right direction. The word of God is also um, like, like nails. And uh, let me see these boards if I can for a second. I'm going to use this illustration. And uh, a lot of times in life we are juggling so many different components and we have, we have our relationships and we have work and we have church responsibilities and we have um, our kids and raising family and then and hobbies, and just all kinds of different things going on. And sometimes we see all these. Sometimes it seems like, like we're trying to manage it all, and it seems like we're trying to hold on to everything that God wants us to do, and it seems like, man, everything's just kind of falling apart, and it's hard to juggle. It's like, man, I need to spend time with God, and so I put that here, and, and then I need to make sure that I'm spending time with my kids and my family, so I put that here, but wait, i, I got to go to work, and I'm going to be late, and it seems like we're trying to just hold it all together. But what Solomon is saying, you can go ahead and, and, and I brought Matt up here because he is a skilled craftsman, right? And uh, what I want Matt to do is he's just going to use a couple nails. I think he has uh, uh, four or five nails, and he's going to hammer those boards together. What Solomon is saying is he's saying this. The word of God, he, he's just going to go and hammer away, so cover your ears for a second if you need to. What Solomon is saying is that the word of God is like, are like nails, and every time you open up God's word, it's another nail. Every time you come to church, it's another nail. Every time you memorize a verse, it's another nail. Every time you go to Bible study, it's another nail. Nail, And so when it seems like your life is just kind of falling apart and it's all over the place and how can I just kind of hold it all together? There is no stability in my life. And Solomon is saying, hey, maybe you need to hammer God's word into your life and he will hold it all together. See, let there be strength in your life and let there be stability in your life, not based on your strength, but based on the truth that is found in God's word. Solomon says, let the nails hold it together. The word of God and the wisdom of God is like nails that will hold your life together and give you strength and stability. Thanks, Matt. Let's give it up for Matt and his carpentry skills. This is what the Bible says in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 8. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him. Just as you receive salvation, go ahead and walk in that same way. You were saved by faith, walk by faith. You were saved by grace, walk, by, walk in grace. And then he says, rooted and built up in him. Everybody say, built up. And established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding therein, therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. So he's saying get, get rooted and built up in Jesus. Find your foundation and your stability in the words of God. And so we need to stop negotiating with the truth and just start submitting to the truth of God's word. Notice what Solomon goes on in, in verse number 12. He says this. If you're still with me, 
Say amen. amen. And further, by these, my son, again, he's training up the next generation. By these, my son, be admonished of making many books. There is no end. And much study is a weariness of the flesh. Now, that is every junior high and high school student's like life verse right there. Mom, Solomon said, a lot of studying does no good. It's just going just to make me tired. So Solomon is saying there's always going to be more books. There's always going to be more philosophy, more information. But don't pursue those things in, ex- in exclusion to the word of God. See, reading is great, and, and there's always going to be more to read. Books were written for our information, but the word of God was written for our transformation. And so Solomon is saying make sure that you prioritize the word of God. It says this in 2 Timothy 3, 7, ever learning. Always learning, some people are like this, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. You could spend the rest of your life studying and learning philosophy and different things and different belief systems to no avail. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 says this, For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of, uh, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. What is he saying? He's saying we need, we need, the words from the one shepherd, the word of God. Nothing more. Don't add to it. Nothing less. God's word is our final authority. Does anybody believe today that God's word is our final authority? Let's not add to it. Let's not take away. Let's just learn and study the word of God. Charles Spurgeon said the word of God is a lamp by night, a light by day, and a delight at all times. So Solomon, what's the bottom line? The greatness of grace. God's able to use me in spite of all the things that I've done. The purpose of pain, yeah, the wisdom of God, the words of God are often painful, but very helpful. It'll hurt before it heals. But then notice the third thought this morning, and really, he brings it all home here. Number three, the essence of existence. The essence of existence. Notice verse number 13, if you would. He says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. So he says, all investigation is complete. All the experiments have been made. Uh, Here's the final verdict, okay? What what is the meaning of life? What is the purpose for our existence? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Here's the bottom line. Are you ready for it? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and follow him. That's it? That's it. Fear God follow him. The the Hebrews did not have a word for duty, and so that verse could actually be read. It actually carries the idea that this is the whole of man. This is the essence of our existence. This is why we're here, to fear God and to follow him. Upward, fear God. Outward, love people, follow him. This is the, the whole of man. Now, Now let's unpack this for a second because we talked about the fear of God a couple weeks ago and we understand that the fear of God is not a terror of God, but it's a reverential awe of who God is. But we do the fear of God a disservice if we remove any fear from the equation. Because the truth is the God that created the universe that we will one day stand before and give an account, that's a little bit scary. And there is a good kind of fear. There is a reverential fear that conquers the terrified fear. 
And Solomon is saying, make sure that when you're living in the fear of God, that you're standing in reverential awe, but you're living in light of the coming judgment. And that's why he goes on in verse 14 and says this, for God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. See, we will all stand before God. We will all face judgment for the lost. It's going to be the great white throne judgment judgment for believers. We're going to stand before the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, and we're going to give an account. So Solomon is saying, live in light of that. But I want to tell you that, that the fear of God is actually so free. The fear of God is amazing and life-changing because when we truly fear God, we don't have to fear anything else. When we fear God, that conquers all other fear. And so oftentimes we go through life and we have doubts, we have insecurities, we have anxieties and worries and we're afraid and we need to just take a step back and stand in reverential awe of who God is and fear Him and let Him take care of the rest. The fear of God conquers all other fears. I love what Oswald Chambers said about the fear of God. I believe he makes it so clear. He says this, the remarkable thing about, the, about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. See, there is a good fear. There is a reverential fear that keeps us uh, from the terrified fear. Uh, there's an example of this in Daniel chapter 10, verses 9 through 12, where Daniel is, is receiving a vision from God, and God's telling him how the world is going to end, and some scary stuff. He's talking about the apocalypse and all these different things, and Daniel is afraid. He's writing these things down, and he's scared to death. And the Bible says this, therefore, this is Daniel speaking, therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned, uh, turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground, and behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees, upon the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto, unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee I am now sent. And when he, had, uh, when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. So again, Daniel is scared. He's trembling. He, he can't even believe what he's hearing from God and how, how the world is going to end and apocalypse and all these, all these things that brought terror into his heart. Then said he unto me, fear not Daniel, you don't have to be afraid. And see, the fear of God can conquer all other fears, even the fears of the end of the world and the apocalypse. God says, hey, 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 fear not, Daniel. Have the fear of God and that will settle your heart. And I don't know what kind of fears you're, you're dealing with this morning, and I don't know what kind of terror you have in your heart, but I know this, in the presence of God, God can take that terror and make it tranquility. In the presence of God, when we fear him in a good way and when we stand in reverential awe, that will conquer all other fears. And so Solomon says, here's the bottom line. Just fear God. Live in reverence of him. Remember God. Live in awe of who God is. And then he says, and keep his commandments. And follow him. Do what he says. This is repeated throughout the New Testament. First uh, John, four, John 14, 15, he says, if ye love me, keep my commandments. If you, if you love God, if you love Jesus, keep his commandments. First John 2, 3 through 4. And hereby do we know that we hereby do we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He saith, I know him and keepeth not his commandments. He is a liar, the truth is not in him. And so if you truly fear God, you will follow him wherever he leads you. Now here's the problem. That's difficult to do. In fact, I'll say this: it's impossible. We can't continually keep God's commandments always. We are sinners. 
We all fall short of the glory of God. You say, well, what do we do? Well, remember point number one, the greatness of grace. It's all about the grace of God. It's saying, you know what? I, I, can't, I can't live for God on my own. I know I'm going to fail. I know I'm going to mess up. But I know that God is gracious towards me and God loves me. And I'm going to allow that grace to uh, push me and to propel me into a life of holiness. See, we are to live a holy life. God said, be ye holy for I am holy. And so instead of just trying to do it all in our own strength, we understand that God is so good to us. Even though we've fallen short, even though we're sinners, we can have that grace actually propel us into a life of sanctification and a life of holiness to God. God above. And so fear God and follow him. What is, what is Solomon saying? He's saying the bottom line is that God is the bottom line. I remember uh, when I was uh, working with teenagers several years ago, uh, I went to the DMV and I went to get my CDL, my, my bus license. And I was going to be driving a bus with, filled with teenagers. We were going to go on different trips. And, and I remember I went in and I, and luckily I passed and got my CDL on the second time. Um, but I got, got my CDL. And I remember there was this man in our church who uh, was a bus driver for a long time. And, and he was showing me how to work and operate the bus. And I'd never driven a bus before this big, you know, 25 passenger uh, shuttle bus. And I, I'd never done it before. So I was kind of learning how to do it. And he was kind of walking me around the bus, telling me everything that I needed to do and everything that I needed to remember. And he got real serious with me for a second. This, this, this older gentleman, it kind of pulled me aside and he says, now, this is a diesel bus. Never put gasoline in this bus. It's gonna mess up the engine. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he walked me over to the fuel tank and he said, look, I even put a sticker on here. And he put a sticker on the side of the bus that said, only diesel. He says, if you put anything else in the tank, it's gonna mess up the engine. It's not gonna be good. Only put diesel. And I believe that the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is trying to put a warning label on our soul that says only God will do. Anything else is gonna to lead to hevel, to emptiness, to meaninglessness. He says, you can try to fill up on all sorts of things. You can try to fill up on sex, on relationships, on alcohol. You can try to fill up on success, making money, pursuing wealth. You can try to fill up on wisdom and learning all this knowledge, but all of that will leave you feeling empty because only God will do. And so that's why Solomon says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, fear God and follow him. Fear God and follow him. I'm gonna read one more verse this morning. First John 5, verse number 12 says this. He that hath the Son hath life. A meaningful life, an abundant life, John 10. And he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Talk about a bottom line verse, right? Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people go to heaven. He that has the Son hath life. And sometimes there's a there's a misconception if we follow God and keep his commandments, we're not gonna have any fun, but that's not how our God works. See, God goes, always goes above and beyond. Have you noticed that? God says, I'm not just gonna give you peace. I'm gonna give you peace that passes understanding. I'm not just gonna give you joy. I'm gonna give you joy unspeakable. I'm not just gonna answer your prayers. I'm gonna go abundantly above all that you can possibly imagine. I'm not just gonna give you life. I'm gonna give you life more abundantly. See, God always goes above and beyond. And see, he is the true source for meaning. And if you wanna have a meaningful existence and find the purpose for your life, look no further than the person of Jesus Christ because in him is life and life to the fullest. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. Thanks again for listening today. If this message was an encouragement to you, let us know. 
You can email us at hello at rockhill.church and keep up with all the latest news at rockhill.church or on Instagram at rockhillchurch.